Section 16 of Report of the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, the Warren Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, the Warren Commission Report by the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy. Chapter 4. The Assassin. Part 5. The Killing of Patrolman J. D. Tippett. After leaving the depository building at approximately 12.33 p.m., Lee Harvey Oswald proceeded to his rooming house by bus and taxi. He arrived at approximately 1 p.m. and left a few minutes later. At about 1.16 p.m., a Dallas police officer, J.D. Tippett, was shot less than one mile from Oswald's rooming house. In deciding whether Oswald killed Patrolman Tippett, the commission considered the following. 1. Positive identification of the killer by two eyewitnesses who saw the shooting and seven eyewitnesses who heard the shots and saw the gunman flee the scene with the revolver in his hand. 2. Testimony of firearms identification experts establishing the identity of the murder weapon. 3. Evidence establishing the ownership of the murder weapon. 4. Evidence establishing the ownership of a zipper jacket found along the path of flight taken by the gunman from the scene of the shooting to the place of arrest. Oswald's Movements After Leaving Depository Building The Bus Ride According to the reconstruction of time and events which the Commission found most credible, Lee Harvey Oswald left the building approximately three minutes after the assassination. He probably walked east on Elm Street for seven blocks to the corner of Elm and Murphy, where he boarded a bus which was heading back in the direction of the depository building on its way to the Oak Cliff section of Dallas. When Oswald was apprehended, a bus transfer marked for the Lakewood-Marsalis route was found in his shirt pocket. The transfer was dated Friday, November 22, 63, and was punched in two places by the bus driver. On the basis of this punch mark, which was distinctive to each Dallas driver, the transfer was conclusively identified as having been issued by Cecil J. McWaters, a bus driver for the Dallas Transit Company. On the basis of the date and time on the transfer, McWaters was able to testify that the transfer had been issued by him on a trip which passed a checkpoint at St. Paul and Elm Streets at 12.36 p.m. November 22, 1963. McWaters was sure that he left the checkpoint on time and he estimated that it took him three to four minutes to drive three blocks west from the checkpoint to Field Street which he reached at about 12.40 p.m. McWaters' recollection is that he issued this transfer to a man who entered his bus just beyond Field Street where a man beat on the front door of the bus boarded it and paid his fare. About two blocks later, a woman asked to get off to make a one o'clock train at Union Station 
and requested a transfer which she might use if she got through the traffic. Quote, so I gave her a transfer and opened the door, and she was going out. The gentleman I had picked up about two blocks back asked for a transfer and got off at the same place in the middle of the block where the lady did. It was the intersection near Lamar Street. It was near Poydras and Lamar Street. End quote. The man was on the bus approximately four minutes. At about 6.30 p.m. on the day of the assassination, McWaters viewed four men in a police lineup. He picked Oswald from the lineup as the man who had boarded the bus at the, quote, lower end of town on Elm around Houston, end quote, and who, during the ride south on Marsalis, had an argument with a woman passenger. In his commission testimony, McWaters said he had been in error and that a teenager named Milton Jones was the passenger he had in mind. In a later interview, Jones confirmed that he had exchanged words with a woman passenger on the bus during the ride south on Marsalis. McWaters also remembered that a man received a transfer at Lamar and Elm Streets and that a man in the lineup was about the size of this man. However, McWaters' recollection alone was too vague to be a basis for placing Oswald on the bus. Riding on the bus was an elderly woman, Mary Bledsoe, who confirmed the mute evidence of the transfer. Oswald had rented a room from Mrs. Bledsoe about six weeks before, on October 7, but she had asked him to leave at the end of a week. Mrs. Bledsoe told him, quote, I am not going to rent to you anymore, end quote. She testified, quote, I didn't like his attitude. There was just something about him I didn't like or want him, just didn't want him around me, end quote. On November 22, Mrs. Bledsoe came downtown to watch the presidential motorcade. She boarded the Marsalis bus at St. Paul and Elm Streets to return home. She testified further, quote, And after we got past Ackert at Murphy, I figured it out. Let's see, I don't know for sure. Oswald got on. He looks like a maniac. His sleeve was out here. His shirt was undone. Was a hole in it. Hole. And he was dirty. And I didn't look at him. I didn't want to know I even seen him. He looked so bad in his face, and his face was so distorted. Hole in his sleeve, right here. End quote. As Mrs. Bledsoe said these words, she pointed to her right elbow. When Oswald was arrested in the Texas theater... He was wearing a brown sport shirt with a hole in the right sleeve at the elbow. Mrs. Bledsoe identified the shirt as the one Oswald was wearing, and she stated she was certain that it was Oswald who boarded the bus. Mrs. Bledsoe recalled that Oswald sat halfway to the rear of the bus, which moved slowly and intermittently as traffic became heavy. She heard a passing motorist tell the driver, that the president had been shot. People on the bus began talking about it. As the bus neared Lamar Street, Oswald left the bus and disappeared into the crowd. The Marsalis bus, which Oswald boarded, traveled a route west on Elm, south on Houston, and southwest across the Houston Viaduct to service the Oak Cliff area along Marsalis. 
A Beckley bus, which also served the Oak Cliff area, followed the same route as the Marsalis bus through downtown Dallas, except that it continued west on Elm, across Houston in front of the depository building, past the triple underpass into West Dallas, and south on Beckley. Marsalis Street is seven blocks from Beckley. Oswald lived at 1026 North Beckley. He could not reach his rooming house on the Marsalis bus, but the Beckley bus stopped across the street. According to McWaters, the Beckley bus was behind the Marsalis bus, but he did not actually see it. Both buses stopped within one block of the depository building. Instead of waiting there, Oswald apparently went as far away as he could and boarded the first Oak Cliff bus which came along, rather than wait for the one which stopped across the street from his rooming house. In a reconstruction of this bus trip, agents of the Secret Service and the FBI walked the seven blocks from the front entrance of the depository building to Murphy and Elm three times, averaging 6.5 minutes for the three trips. A bus moving through heavy traffic on Elm from Murphy to Lamar was timed at four minutes. If Oswald left the depository building at 12.33 p.m., walked seven blocks directly to Murphy and Elm, and boarded a bus almost immediately, he would have boarded the bus at approximately 12.40 p.m. and left it at approximately 12.44 p.m. Roger D. Craig, a deputy sheriff of Dallas County, claimed that about 15 minutes after the assassination, he saw a man, whom he later identified as Oswald, coming from the direction of the depository building and running down the hill north of Elm Street, toward a light-colored Rambler station wagon, which was moving slowly along Elm toward the underpass. The station wagon stopped to pick up the man and then drove off. Craig testified that later in the afternoon he saw Oswald in the police interrogation room and told Captain Fritz that Oswald was the man he saw. Craig also claimed that when Fritz pointed out to Oswald that Craig had identified him, Oswald rose from his chair, looked directly at Fritz, and said, quote, Everybody will know who I am now. End quote. The Commission could not accept important elements of Craig's testimony. Captain Fritz stated that a deputy sheriff whom he could not identify did ask to see him that afternoon and told him a similar story to Craig's. Fritz did not bring him into his office to identify Oswald, but turned him over to Lieutenant Baker for questioning. If Craig saw Oswald that afternoon, he saw him through the glass windows of the office, and neither Captain Fritz nor any other officer can remember that Oswald dramatically arose from his chair and said, quote, Everybody will know who I am now, end quote. If Oswald had made such a statement, Captain Fritz and others present would probably have remembered it. Craig may have seen a person enter a white Rambler station wagon 15 or 20 minutes after the shooting and travel west on Elm Street, but the commission concluded that this man was not Lee Harvey Oswald because of the overwhelming evidence 
that Oswald was far away from the building by that time. The Taxicab Ride William Whaley, a taxicab driver, told his employer on Saturday morning, November 23, that he recognized Oswald from a newspaper photograph as a man whom he had driven to the Oak Cliff area the day before. Notified of Whaley's statement, the police brought him to the police station that afternoon. He was taken to the lineup room where, according to Whaley, five young teenagers, all handcuffed together, were displayed with Oswald. He testified that Oswald looked older than the other boys. The police asked him whether he could pick out his passenger from the lineup. Whaley picked Oswald. He said, quote, You could have picked him out without identifying him by just listening to him, because he was bawling out the policemen, telling them it wasn't right to put him in line with these teenagers and all of that. And they asked me which one, and I told them. It was him, all right, the same man. He showed no respect for the policemen. He told them what he thought about them. They knew what they were doing, and they were trying to railroad him, and he wanted his lawyer. End quote. Whaley believes that Oswald's conduct did not aid him in his identification, quote, because I knew he was the right one as soon as I saw him, end quote. Whaley's memory of the lineup is inaccurate. There were four men altogether, not six men, in the lineup with Oswald. Whaley said that Oswald was the man under number two. Actually, Oswald was under number three. Only two of the men in the lineup with Oswald were teenagers. John T. Horn, aged 18, was number one. David Knapp, aged 18, was number two. Lee Oswald was number three and Daniel Lujan, age 26, was number four. When he first testified before the commission, Whaley displayed a trip manifest which showed a 12 o'clock trip from Travis Hotel to the Continental Bus Station, unloaded at 12.15 p.m., a 12.15 p.m. pickup at Continental to Greyhound, unloaded at 12.30 p.m., and a pickup from Greyhound, bus station at 12.30 p.m., unloaded at 500 North Beckley at 12.45 p.m. Whaley testified that he did not keep an accurate time record of his trips, but recorded them by the quarter hour, and that sometimes he made his entry right after a trip, while at other times he waited to record three or four trips. As he unloaded his Continental bus station passenger in front of Greyhound, he started to get out to buy a package of cigarettes. He saw a man walking south on Lamar from Commerce. The man was dressed in faded blue-color khaki work clothes, a brown shirt, and some kind of work jacket that almost matched his pants. The man asked, quote, may I have the cab, end quote, and got into the front seat. Whaley described the ensuing events as follows, quote, and about that time, an old lady, I think she was an old lady, I don't remember nothing, but her sticking her head down past him in the door and said, Driver, will you call me a cab down here? She had seen him get this cab, and she wanted one too, 
and he opened the door a little bit like he was going to get out, and he said, I will let you have this one, and she says, no, the driver can call me one. I asked him where he wanted to go, and he said 500 North Beckley. Well, I started up, I started to that address, and the police cars, the sirens was going, running, crisscrossing everywhere, just a big uproar in that end of town, and I said, what the hell, I wonder what the hell is the uproar? And he never said anything. So I figured he was one of these people that don't like to talk, so I never said any more to him. But when I got pretty close to 500 block at Netches and North Beckley, which is the 500 block, he said this will do fine. And I pulled over to the curb right there. He gave me a dollar bill. The trip was 95 cents. He gave me a dollar bill and didn't say anything, just got out and closed the door and walked around the front of the cab over to the other side of the street, east side of the street. Of course, the traffic was moving through there, and I put it in gear and moved on. That's the last I saw of him. End quote. Whaley was somewhat imprecise as to where he unloaded his passenger. He marked what he thought was the intersection of Netches and Beckley on a map of Dallas with a large X. He said, quote, Yes, sir, that is right, because that is the 500 block of North Beckley. End quote. However, Netches and Beckley do not intersect. Netches is within one half block of the rooming house at 1026 North Beckley, where Oswald was living. The 500 block of North Beckley is five blocks south of the rooming house. After a review of these inconsistencies in his testimony before the commission, Whaley was interviewed again in Dallas. The route of the taxicab was retraced under the direction of Whaley. He directed the driver of the car to a point 20 feet north of the northwest corner of the intersection of Beckley and Neely, the point at which he said his passenger alighted. This was the 700 block of North Beckley. The elapsed time of the reconstructed run from the Greyhound bus station to Neely and Beckley was 5 minutes and 30 seconds by stopwatch. The walk from Beckley and Neely to 1026 North Beckley was timed by Commission Council at 5 minutes and 45 seconds. Whaley testified that Oswald was wearing either the gray zippered jacket or the heavy blue jacket. He was in error, however. Oswald could not possibly have been wearing the blue jacket during the trip with Whaley since it was found in the domino room of the depository late in November. Moreover, Mrs. Bledsoe saw Oswald in the bus without a jacket and wearing a shirt with a hole at the elbow. On the other hand, Whaley identified Commission Exhibit Number 150, the shirt taken from Oswald upon arrest, as the shirt his passenger was wearing. He also stated he saw a silver identification bracelet on his passenger's left wrist. Oswald was wearing such a bracelet when he was arrested. On November 22, Oswald told Captain Fritz that he rode a bus to a stop near his home, and then walked to his rooming house. When queried the following morning concerning a bus transfer found in his possession at the time of his arrest, he admitted receiving it. And when interrogated about a cab ride, Oswald also admitted that he left the slow-moving bus 
and took a cab to his rooming house. The Greyhound bus station at Lamar and Jackson Streets, where Oswald entered Whaley's cab, is three to four short blocks south of Lamar and Elm. If Oswald left the bus at 12.44 p.m. and walked directly to the terminal, he would have entered the cab at 12.47 or 12.48 p.m. If the cab ride was approximately six minutes, as was the reconstructed ride, he would have reached his destination at approximately 12.54 p.m. If he was discharged at Neely and Beckley and walked directly to his rooming house, he would have arrived there about 12.59 to 1 p.m. From the 500 block of North Beckley, the walk would be a few minutes longer, but in either event, he would have been in the rooming house at about 1 p.m. This is the approximate time he entered the rooming house, according to Erlene Roberts, the housekeeper there. Arrival and Departure from Rooming House Erlene Roberts, housekeeper for Mrs. A.C. Johnson at 1026 North Beckley, knew Lee Harvey Oswald under the alias of O.H. Lee. She first saw him the day he rented a room at that address on October 14, 1963. He signed his name as O.H. Lee on the rooming house register. Mrs. Roberts testified that on Thursday, November 21, Oswald did not come home. On Friday, November 22, about 1 p.m., he entered the house in unusual haste. She recalled that it was subsequent to the time the president had been shot. After a friend had called and told her, President Kennedy has been shot, she turned on the television. When Oswald came in, she said, quote, Oh, you are in a hurry, end quote. But Oswald did not respond. He hurried to his room and stayed no longer than three or four minutes. Oswald had entered the house in his shirt sleeves, but when he left, he was zipping up a jacket. Mrs. Roberts saw him a few seconds later, standing near the bus stop in front of the house on the east side of Beckley. Oswald was next seen about nine-tenths of a mile away, at the southeast corner of 10th Street and Patton Avenue, moments before the Tippett shooting. If Oswald left his rooming house shortly after 1 p.m. and walked at a brisk pace, he would have reached 10th and Patton shortly after 1.15 p.m. Tippett's murder was recorded on the police radio tape at about 1.16 p.m. Description of Shooting Patrolman J.D. Tippett joined the Dallas Police Department in July 1952. He was described by Chief Curry as having the reputation of being a very fine, dedicated officer. Tippett patrolled District No. 78 in the Oak Cliff area of Dallas during daylight hours. He drove a police car painted distinctive colors with number 10 prominently displayed on each side. Tippett rode alone, as only one man was normally assigned to a patrol car in residential areas during daylight shifts. At about 12.44 p.m. on November 22, the radio dispatcher on Channel 1 ordered all downtown patrol squads to report to Elm and Houston 
Code 3 Emergency. At 12.45 p.m., the dispatcher ordered number 78, Tippett, to, quote, move into central Oak Cliff area, end quote. At 12.54 p.m., Tippett reported that he was in the central Oak Cliff area at Lancaster and 8th. The dispatcher ordered Tippett to be, quote, at large for any emergency that comes in, end quote. According to Chief Curry, Tippett was free to patrol the central Oak Cliff area. Tippett must have heard the description of the suspect wanted for the president's shooting. It was broadcast over Channel 1 at 12.45 p.m., again at 12.48 p.m., and again at 12.55 p.m. The suspect was described as a, quote, white male, approximately 30, slender build, height 5 foot 10 inches, weight 165 pounds, end quote. A similar description was given on Channel 2 at 12.45 p.m. At approximately 1.15 p.m., Tippett, who was cruising east on 10th Street, passed the intersection of 10th and Patton, about eight blocks from where he had reported at 12.54 p.m. About 100 feet past the intersection, Tippett stopped a man walking east along the south side of Patton. The man's general description was similar to the one broadcast over the police radio. Tippett stopped the man and called him to his car. He approached the car and apparently exchanged words with Tippett through the right front or vent window. Tippett got out and started to walk around the front of the car. As Tippett reached the left front wheel, the man pulled out a revolver and fired several shots. Four bullets hit Tippett and killed him instantly. The gunman started back toward Patton Avenue, ejecting the empty cartridge cases before reloading with fresh bullets. End of section 16. Recording by Linda Johnson.